Amen. Hey, if you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, grab them. We're going to be in Luke, Luke in the New Testament, Luke chapter 11. Uh, we're going to talk, obviously, about prayer. Uh, my, my prayer life started out very early. My public ministry prayer life actually started very, very early, uh, sort of unintentionally. I, as many of you know, I grew up in Dillon, South Carolina, uh, um, you know, but my daddy said the best thing ever come out of Dillon, South Carolina is I-95, and he's right, all right? So it's, uh, it's kind of on the way to Myrtle Beach. If you've ever seen Pedro's Place, it's called South of the Border. It's like that tacky fireworks stand gas station. That, that's where I grew up, all right? And so, <clears throat> so I was, when I was in the first grade, Dillon has this tradition that the first grade class does a play, but not just a school play. They really do it for the whole town, and it's hosted on a Friday night in the Dillon Theater. And so uh, there was auditions for the first grade class, and there were actors, and there were singers, and there were dancers, and so I failed at all three of those. And so everybody, you know, has, uh, has to be in the play, and so my job was the welcome guy. That's it, because I had no talent whatsoever, and so I had to do the welcome. And my job, this was it, all I had to do when we had rehearsal, and we practiced, and I practiced my line, and it was this, is that I would stand on the stage of the Dillon Theater, and then with the curtains open, I would say... Welcome to the Dillon Theater. We hope you enjoy the show. And that was it. And then I was supposed to walk off. And so we rehearsed, and I practiced, and we did it. And then on the night that the play was on, it was a Friday night in Dillon, and, and quite honestly, it, it was jam-packed. I mean, every mom, every dad, every grandparent, and honestly, what else is there to do in Dillon, South Carolina? So this was the pinnacle of entertainment on a Friday night in Dillon. And so there I am. I'm standing behind the curtain. And I'm practicing my line, practicing my line, and then the curtain opens, and the light hits me, and you can just imagine the majesty that is the Dillon Theater. <laughs> and I saw all these people, just rows and rows and rows of people, and I saw my grandparents, and I saw my teachers, and I saw everybody there, my baseball coach, and all of that, and I just froze. And I, I, didn't, I just forgot, I couldn't get it out. And my teacher, I heard her over there, but she was the, just the peanuts teacher, wah, 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 that's all I had. And I didn't know what to do, and so I just said, let us pray. <laughs> That's what I did. This is the beginning of my ministry. And so like good Southern Dillon folk, everybody went, shoom, bowed their head, closed their eyes. I probably could have taken an offering and given an invitation, but I didn't. She said, let us pray. Everybody bowed their head. They were looking at me. I looked at my teacher, and she said, welcome to the Dillon Theater. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Amen. And they lifted their heads. And I said, welcome to the Dillon Theater. I hope you enjoy the show. And I left. And that night, my grandma said, you're going to be a preacher one day. All right, so <clears throat> prayer is something that, uh, it's kind of a weird thing about prayer because it's sort of intuitive. Everybody prays, even atheists pray. Like, I don't believe in God until they need help. And they're like, dear God. I mean, that's just how it works. And there really are some right ways to pray and some wrong ways to pray and some dumb ways to pray. And so what we're going to talk about to, to this time is, is how to pray. And so if you go to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. So let me just stop and tell you this, is that a certain place, that's good, okay? Anywhere works. The good thing about prayer is anywhere works. Anytime, any place, anywhere, that works. But a certain place is really, really good. And actually, your prayer life ought to be both. There ought to be some times where you go to a certain place at a certain time and dedicate a certain amount of time to your relationship with God, and then there ought to also be just all the time, anytime, wherever you are. And one of the things, just as a confession that I need to, you know, share with you is that one of the, one of the things I became painfully aware of a few years ago is that 
the, the responsibility that God was giving me was growing exponentially. And my prayer life was just not matching up. It just wasn't. I would read these, um, I'd read these biographies of these incredible, incredible godly men, you know, people that made, that like pastors and evangelists and people that made significant, significant dents in this world in regards to the name and the renown of Jesus. And they would pray and pray and pray. And then I look at my prayer life versus the amount of people that were coming into our church and the amount of people I was responsible for and the number of salvations that were happening. And I thought, you know what, this just these really just aren't lining up. I got to do something about it. And a part of it is another confession. Um, I never really considered myself that good of a prayer. All right. So when I was in, when I was in college and I worked at Camp Pine Hill Baptist Retreat Center, and I've told you all about Coach Lee and how he led me to Jesus, and I wanted to be just like him. One morning, I get up early in the morning to go bass fishing, and I and I went by his cabin and I saw his light on, and I stuck. I kind of looked through the little glass, and he was kneeling down on the concrete praying. And I thought, oh, well, I better leave him alone. And so I went fishing, you know, and like Jesus, you know. And, and so I fished for about an hour, and I came back because the kids were supposed to get up at 6. And so I come back at 6, and I go by his room to tell him that I tore him up. And I look back in, and one hour later, the dude has not moved. He's just praying, just talking to Jesus for an hour. And I remember thinking, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like Coach Lee. So the next day, I set my alarm, and I got up, and I kneeled down by my little bunk, and my cabin that I stayed in over that summer, and I just committed. I'm praying for an hour, and I bowed my head, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I cried out to God, and I prayed for my, everybody I could think of, and every unreached people group I knew of, which I didn't know of any, but I prayed for them, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I quoted every Bible verse, and I, I went through, I said the Lord's Prayer about 20 times or so, and I mean, I prayed my guts out, and I looked out at my watch, and it was four minutes. Oh, dang, what am I going to do for 56 minutes, okay? <laughs> and then not only that, when I was in college, we'd had these prayer meetings. I was a part, part of some campus ministry things, and, um, and, and, and the thing about it, I just got to confess this to you. I know you guys are going to think I'm a terrible Christian. It's actually worse than you think, and I hated the prayer meetings. I mean, I hated, cause, and they wouldn't tell us when they were. It was just like a regular gathering, and they'd be like, oh, tonight's a prayer meeting. And I remember thinking, ah. Oh. Prayer meetings, I hated them. And here's why I hated them. First of all, they'd make us get in circles and hold hands. And look, bro, I love you, but I ain't trying to hold your hand. I'm just, that's just, that's just how it was. That was awkward. And so what I would do usually is I would usually try to situate myself just in case it busted in the prayer meeting that I was rightly aligned, if you know what I mean, you know, with the people to hold hands with. And then when I'd be holding hands with people and we'd be praying, first of all, it would just turn into a prayer off. I mean, that's the first thing. It would turn into a prayer off. Everybody would just try to outpray the next person. And then people would just say the weird things, you know. I remember this one guy. He would always pray the longest, and, and he would pray to Father Weegis, all right? And I was like, who is Father Weegis, you know? And what he would say is, Father Weegis, come before you, and Father Weegis, confess our sins, and Father Weegis. And I was like, I don't know who Father Weegis is, but this is ridiculous, all right? And then sure enough, we're holding hands, you know, and then, and then inevitably what would happen if the girl I was holding hands with, if she moved her thumb a little bit, I'd be like, uh-oh, what's happening over here, all right? Might need to pray about some of this, all right? Might be, might have a little, pray to Father Weegis about this, all right? So I didn't love that. And I thought the prayer request time was just horrible. Anybody have any prayer requests? And they were just weak, you know? It would some, I, can we just pray for my 
My aunt's sister has a dog uh, with, a, with a hemorrhoid problem. <laughs> and then the guy up front, trying not to be a jerk, would be like, what's your dog's name? You know, and write that down. I'm like, can we just not pray for the dogs, please, at all? Can we just, can this be real? And so, or what would happen is you'd be in the group, they'd split you up and be like, share prayer requests. And everybody's going around, and you're faking it. You're faking it, because you don't really know. And then sure enough, it'd get past you, and you'd say something that's kind of lame, not real. And then you get somebody in the group, and they'd go real. You know, they'd be like, hey, I'm just really struggling with this sin in my life. And then you'd have to go, uh, we got to go around again. You know, we got to do another lap because we didn't know it was going to be real. We thought, you know, that kind of deal. And so that was sort of my background in, in that kind of prayer. And so honestly, I mean, I'm pastoring a church and, and just look at my own prayer life and think I, it's not matching up. I mean, I got a little quick shotgun prayers and I'd study my Bible a bunch. You know, I, I love doing that. But in regards to just prayer and so... I needed to carve out a certain place, like Jesus, that when he was praying in a certain place. And so that, that's how Monday mornings were born for me. God decided every Monday morning I would go into the woods and climb up in a tree stand. And honestly, it's just me and Jesus. What else are you going to do? And for me, for me, and my relationship with the Lord, I carved out that time and carved out that place where I spent hours and hours and hours in I don't even know what you call it, prayer, meditation, reading the Bible, thinking, praying for you, praying over our prayer cards, praying for our staff members, our elders, every single Monday, sometimes with an intensity that if you would see me, you would either freak out or call a doctor. But I just was convicted that God, God I'm not drawing near to you like I ought to be. And so it's interesting, here it says, now Jesus was in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. You see, apparently, according to the Scriptures, prayer, it really is something that's taught. Now, there's an, there's an intuitive nature to prayer that sometimes when you're in trouble, you just cry out to God, and yes, that is prayer, but also there are some things about prayer that need to be taught. And so the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciple to pray. And, and the reality is, if we're not taught, you know what we do? A lot of times, we, we pray some really dumb stuff. You ever notice that? We just pray some dumb stuff. We don't really think about the things that we're saying when we pray them. Like, I'm just going to give you a few. One, and these are three things that I hear in almost every prayer that I ever hear, all right? So if you do it around me now, I'm going to buzz you, okay? I'm going to be like, that's dumb, all right? So, <laughs> this one, we pray this all the time, uh, God just be with us. Well, first of all, Jesus has already promised that in Matthew chapter 28. He said, and lo, I will be with you wherever you go to the very ends of the age. Also, he's omnipresent, which means he's in all places at all times. So how could he not be with you? You can get over that when he's with you. He's with you in the car. He's with you above the car. You can relax on the traveling mercies. He's not like hovering over your car, hoping it goes well. If you're a Christian, he actually lives inside of you that you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. So to, so to pray, you know, God be with me is like, I don't know. It's like, breath, please come out of me. That's just a part of who God is and what he does. You don't even have to ask that, okay? Secondly, people pray all the time, and God forgives us, forgive us of our many sins. You ever hear people pray that? Well, it, so if you're a Christian, well, you need to pray, and it's always many sins. It's not like, God, I had about three and a half sins today. Can you hook those up? No, forgive us of our many sins. And so what you really, actually, what we need to do is claim forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus on the cross. If you're in Christ, then what you're doing is claiming that you have been forgiven. You should thank God for that. And then the one that I hear more than anywhere else is, 
God, let this food nourish our body. Now, outside of that, when is the last time you used the word nourishment? Never, except in a prayer. And to pray that the food would nourish your body, that's what food does. Whether you pray about it or not, that is like, before you get in the shower, dear God, please let this water wet me. All right, that's just what it does. Now, what you really probably ought to do is, because a lot of times what we're doing is we're sitting over like a, like a Happy Meal supersized, right? And we're like, God, please let this food nourish my body. And what you really should be doing is praying for wisdom to make better choices with our lives. Amen? That's just true. All right, so don't pray dumb stuff. Think about what you're going to pray. And so Jesus, they, they come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, and here's what he says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he's done. Now, that's called the Lord's Prayer, right? Now, if you grew up, uh, if you grew up memorizing and repeating the Lord's Prayer, how many of you, of, of you grew up in some kind of tradition where you memorized and repeated the Lord's Prayer? So, if I'm one of the disciples here and I go, Lord, teach us to pray, and he says this, I think I go, um, Jesus you just messed up your own prayer. You didn't even say it right. What happened? It's our Father, okay? Not Father. Our Father who art in heaven, all right? I remember a kid one time at a little camp asked me, who's art in heaven? Like he was a person. I was like, no, 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 okay? So now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing that we're going to see is that, in fact, go ahead and jump over to Matthew chapter 6. What Jesus is trying to do here, what he is doing, what Jesus is doing here is he has given us a model a model. When you pray, you don't have to just repeat these words after me every time, sort of meaninglessly and mindlessly, but this is just a model of how to pray, all right? And what we do, what we did with the model prayer is we took the model prayer and did exactly the opposite of what he was teaching us to do, and we turned it into a mantra. And so it's fundamentally what, what Jesus is going to say here in a little while is that prayer is not about just repeating rote, memorized kinds of things that are meaningless to you that, that, that aren't a connection. It's not. It's not. In fact, I, I grew up on this prayer, the worst prayer of all time. We used to do it every night before I go to bed. For many, many years, I had no idea what it was about, all right? You guys remember this? Um, now I lay me down to sleep. Anybody with me? The now I lay me down to sleep? Okay, good. You also grew up with spankings. You're my people, all right? So this is what my parents instructed me in as we would pray, kneel down beside the bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I remember going, whoa, 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 wait a minute, mama. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What do we have going on here that I might not survive the evening, okay? We might want to call somebody or not live in this home, or, I mean, seriously, is it that dire? And in fact, it was years before I even knew what we were praying. I came to my mom one time when I was little, and I was like, Mama, what's Fashida? I mean, she's like, huh? I was like, what's Fashida? Baby, what are you talking about? You know, Fashida before I wake. She's like, no, no, no. If I should die. Whoa, what happened, right? I thought we were speaking in tongues in my house. I didn't know. I just didn't know. And so a lot of times with kind of rope-memorized prayers, now if you need kind of a rope-memorized prayer to get you warmed up, then go for it, no problem. But 
The essence of prayer is not just grabbing on to what somebody says, memorizing it, and saying it back to God. And we know this because look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus says, he's talking about prayer. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, and that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, it's not about all the cool words that you can say or all the theological terminology that you can throw around or all the kind of supernatural words that you can impress other people with. And it, and honestly, only you and Jesus know when you're praying if that's what you're doing. Is if you ball out a little bit and be like, oh, watch this. And you know what I'm saying. You've got some, you know some people and they're just like in your disciple group and they could just pray. And you think, ah, I think they pray better than me. Well, what Jesus says is when you pray, don't be like, don't, don't, don't try to show off, because that, if that's what you're doing, that's all the reward you're going to get. But when you pray, now notice this, he just assumes prayer. Not if you pray, but when you pray, he just assumes it. Here's how you do it. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Now, a lot of people call this their prayer closet. It doesn't literally mean like a closet in your house. I know there's a movie coming out right now called War Room. You, I, go see it. That's great. You know, every wife should have a war room where she goes in and goes to war for the sake of her husband. Yes and amen. And if you've got a prayer closet in your house, great. It's a certain place, but it doesn't have to be a closet. It wasn't a literal place where like you pulled out the brooms and you came in and you prayed. A, a, a prayer closet in the first century, he was talking primarily to a bunch of Jewish guys. And when they would go to do their prayer time, they would go to the synagogue and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious people, they wore those robes. You've seen them on the movies, right? And they had these, you know, when they'd lift up their arms, the, the kind of the arms of the robes, um, they were, they, you know, it, would, it was like curtains that would fall all the way to the ground. And, um, and, and on, those, on those curtain things, uh, it was, there was these little tassels called tzitzis, and the big curtain arms was called a kenef, and it literally is translated wings. And so when Jesus said, when you pray, don't bug everybody else and pray so loud that you affect all the people around you. But when you pray, you go into your closet. And a prayer closet in the first century was that you would take your arms like this and you'd put a square in front of your head and you'd bow your head and it would create like your own little prayer closet. And then you would be like in private talking to your Father in heaven. And so it wasn't about your words that were super impressive to impress the people around you. But you would just go and just deal with God alone, just you and Him in your little prayer closet. So go into your prayer closet and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. So it's not about how many words you use and, and some of you, you guys have already figured this out, right? There's certain members in your family, you don't ask them to pray at dinner because it'll be cold and all the ice will be melted out of the sweet tea before you eat. You know what I'm saying? And so Jesus is like, yeah, don't pick those people to pray for dinner. They can, they can pray a fast one. That is fine. And he says, don't be like them for your father who knows what you need before you ask him. To, to which some people say, well, then why would we pray? So what is this about? God, if you already know what I'm going to ask before I even ask it, and you're sovereign and you're in, before all things and in charge of all things, then if you already have a plan for my life, then why pray? And I think, kind of reading between the lines here, Jesus would respond, oh, oh you thought this was all about you. 
You see, this is not just about information transfer. It's actually about intimacy. It's about a relationship. You see, when you pray, I think you actually ought to have both ends. You ought to have some times where you go to a certain place at a certain time and carve out extended periods of time where you just cast your cares upon Him, where you go before the Lord, where you pour your heart out to the Lord. Yes and amen. And then there ought to be other times where you have those just real quick. I mean, literally, you see somebody here at church and you think, man, I haven't seen him in a while, and you just kind of throw up a little quick shotgun prayer. I think it's both hands. I think it's you're driving down the road and you hear your favorite song or whatever and it just stirs something in you and you just have a real quick thank you, God. That kind of thing. And then also an extensive time where you spend time with the Lord. Really, just like any other legitimate uh, relationship. You see, Gretchen and I try to the best of our abilities to, to spend some extended time together in our relationship, right? We go on date nights and we do, and I've told you about our two different kinds of vacations that we have. You remember that? We have the Presbyterian vacation where we take the elect, that's our children, and everything's very planned and orderly. And then we have the Pentecostal vacation where there's a lot of laying on of hands and speaking in tongues, you know what I'm saying? And so, so those are ones where we just carve out just times for us. I'm not answering email. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not telling anybody where we're going. We're not inviting anybody else, and the kids definitely can't go, all right? It's that, and that's very, very important. Long, extended times together. And all throughout the day, I don't know, 100 million texts, just little quick ones, you know, just checking in, how you doing? And both of them are very important. If I only saw my wife and spent time with her on those long extended vacations, it would damage our relationship. It really, really would. And if all I ever did was just really quick check in, kind of text, see her at night, hey, how you doing, high five, those kind of things, we'd have a real hard time deepening our relationship. It really, you really, really need both. And the same thing is true in your prayer life with the Lord. And so the disciples in Luke 11, 1, come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray like this. And he gives a version of the Lord's Prayer, a very shortened version. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, when he's teaching on praying, he says, hey, don't heap a bunch of words. It's not about your words. It's not about that at all. But when you pray, then pray like this. You don't have to say this exactly, but pray like this. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to spend a minute talking about this model prayer. Not that you will just memorize and repeat, though it's a great thing to memorize Scripture, and this is Scripture, but it's more of a model for you to follow than just a mantra to repeat. And I've got to tell you, when he prayed this way, like we've heard it for so long, right? We, I actually memorized this prayer on, on the football team, because before we would go out, coach, coach would get us together. At this point, I didn't play for Coach Bully anymore. I'd moved to another town. I was playing for another guy. And, and we would get together, and we would pray. And it was like, our Father, what in heaven? Hallowed be thy name. Kingdom will be known. Earth as in heaven. And then it would be, go, cuss word. That's what it would be, right at the end, instead of amen, okay? So I don't think it was exactly what Jesus intended. And so, but when the, when the, when the, in the first century, when the disciples hear the Lord's play, prayer, you've got to understand, they were, they were, they were absolutely blown away. They didn't have a category for prayer like this, okay? When Jesus starts out this way, he goes, okay, when you pray, here, pray, pray like this, ready? Our Father. At this point, they're like, whoa, 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 time out, Rabbi. No, 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 you mean your Father. 
Not our father. I mean, I get your father, right? You're the son of God. You came in here on a mission from him. Okay, your father, but not our father. No way. No way. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. He's our father. And they'll understand this later, but right now they have no concept of what he's talking about. It's very similar to what he means in, in all through the book of John when he says, ask anything in Jesus' name and it will be given unto you. That doesn't just mean that at the end, you can just tack in Jesus' name on the end, and then cha-ching, there's the keys to the new car you're praying for. That's not how it works. When he says, our Father, or in Jesus' name, here's what he's saying. He's saying that you, if you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, then, then he's our Father now. That you have the same access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords that Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, has. And the... And Honestly, these folks and every single one of us are like, oh, I don't know about that. Because here's what's just true. There are days when I'm horrible, more, more than you'd want to know, okay? I mean, just bad, right? I'm bad to my kids. I'm bad to my wife. I'm bad to everybody on staff here. I've got a bad attitude. I'm just, uh. and on those days, and you are too. I mean, don't look at me with those judgmental eyes. You can just back off a minute, all right? And you are too. And on those days, do you feel like running to God in prayer? No. Don't you feel a little like, I don't, I don't know if he wants to see me right now. That's how we feel. And just as bad on the opposite end, end of those, there are other days where I crush it. I mean, I crush it. I wake up in the morning with Bible verses flowing through my head. I don't even put my feet on the floor first. My knees go first, and I pray for my sleeping wife and my children, and I, you know, sing psalms and spiritual songs and hymns in the shower and do extended Bible study and disciple a bunch of people and lead a heck of a staff meeting and pray for you. And I mean, all that, just, just like crush it, preach a sermon where the glory of God just falls upon us. And then as I lay my head down on the bed and that, that night, there's a little bit in me that thinks, you probably want to talk to me a little bit right now, don't you? <laughs> you see, neither of those are true. It is not by the sweat of our brow, but by the blood of Jesus that we get to come into the throne room of God. That's what it means to be, to pray in the name of Jesus. That when God in prayer looks at you, if you're in Christ, then you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Whether it's a good day or a bad day, it's irrelevant because God made him who was without sin to be sin for us, that we would be made his righteousness. So when Jesus says, when you pray, come on, boys and girls, pray with me like this, our Father. Ours? No way. Yeah. You have full access to the throne room just like I do. It's sort of like this. Years ago, years ago, um, there's a guy in our church, uh, Captain Chuck Nygaard, that invited me to come meet him for lunch. Um, at Mayport, at the naval base. And so, on my own, if I were to try to go there and go to his ship, which was the USS Vicksburg, on my own, in the name of Joby, I can't do it. If I were to drive up to the guard gate and be like, y'all might want to let me in, they'd be like, bam, I just shoot you in the face, it's over, you know what I mean? And even if I snuck by there and I got to where the boat is, you can't just roll up on the boat and be like, you know what, I'm a U.S. citizen. I think I paid for this. Just let me look around. I'd be like, whatever. I'd be in prison. You'd never hear from me again. What happened to him? I'd be like, I think he's a missionary somewhere. All right, gone. <laughs> but at the invitation of Captain Chuck, I was there in his name. So when I pulled up to the guard gate, and they were like, can I see your idea? Who, who are you here to see? And I go, uh, Captain Chuck Nygaard. They are like, right this way, sir. It was sweet. And then the real cool thing, then he meets me out by the boat. And, and it's not a boat, you know, I mean, it's a, 
It's, a, it's the USS Vicksburg. It was incredible. It's incredible. And so we're about to step onto the ship. And listen, and if you're in the Navy, in the military, I have an incredible respect, an incredible respect. So this was such a big deal. And I know I'm going to jack up all the details, all right, which is why they shouldn't let me own these things on my own. You understand? But this was like, I mean, it was, it was a really, really big deal. And I was kind of nervous, you know, but I'm, I'm with the captain, the captain of the ship. And so as we're about to step on, when we go from land to the little plank thing, then all of a sudden, everybody stops, everybody salutes, and they start ringing this bell. Ding, ding, ding. I'm like, what's happening, you know? And on the intercom, they're like, um, attention on deck, Captain Chuck Nygaard and his guest, Pastor Joby Martin. Just like that. And we're walking up, and everybody's saluting me. I'm like, what's up, dog? I mean, this is like, <laughs> what? And they're not saluting me, but they, but, but they are because I'm with him. You know what I'm saying? I'm there in his name. And so he takes me around, shows me everything. We go down, we go down, and, you know, they all do the mechanical stuff and look at this. I'm like, oh, that's great. And, and my whole, I'm like, how does, the, how does the ship this big float? You know, that's going through my mind. And then we go into the combat information center. And it's just screens and buttons and chairs. He's like, go ahead and sit down. And I sit down. And I, I mean, it felt like I was a hunt for Red October. You remember that? And I just kept going, boop, boop. He's like, why are you doing that? I'm like, I don't know. I just, boop, boop. I feel like I need to. Then you're like, what is this button? He's like, you don't want to touch that. But, oh, okay. I mean, it was cool. I'm pretty sure they don't just let people sit down in the chair of the command information center. And then we go up to the top, and I'm telling you, every room we walk in, there's a bunch of sailors, and they're doing stuff, you know, and then they walk in, and boom, everything stops, and they salute, and I'm, you know, how y'all doing? <laughs> I'm trying to thank you, thank you, thank you to every person I can see. And then we go up to, a, to the captain's cabin. It's the very top, it's the, where the captain stayed. Nobody, there are people that give their lives to the Navy, and they don't get to go up there. But me, in his name, I get to walk right with him to the very top. And we sit at this little table in the captain's cabin. And they bring me and him the most delicious BLT I've ever eaten in my whole life. Which, by the way, how good would a BLT be right now? Wouldn't it? Don't lie. How many of y'all, when you get to heaven and you see Daniel, you'll be like, oh, yeah, whatever. Okay? He has some veggies up here. All right, so... <clears throat> So, the, so, man, as I studied on prayer and thinking about what it looks like to pray, and Jesus says to pray in Jesus' name, or when he invites us to say, it's our Father, he's my dad, and he's your dad, so he's our dad, that in Jesus' name, Jesus escorts you past all of the barriers that could ever be there and invites you and escorts you into the throne room of the Almighty God to sit down in the captain's chair with the captain and be with him. And that's just the first word of the thing, our. If you're in Christ, that's the access you have to the almighty sovereign God. That you humbly yet boldly enter into the presence of God. And then he says, our Father. And again, the disciples are like, man, time out, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not our Father, it's sovereign Lord. That's how we grew up praying our whole lives. It was, it was, it was not our Father, it's sovereign Lord. And Jesus, I think it's 187 times in the Gospels, calls God Father. And he actually uses this word, this Aramaic word, that made everybody there uncomfortable. It was the word Abba. Some of you old guys think, you know, you're thinking like a Swedish band from like the 80s. That's not what it was, all right, with weird 
clothes. It was like, where I'm from, it was daddy, not daddy, all right? No, we'd beat you up if you said daddy. But it was like, it's really like D-I-D-D-I. That's how we would say it, daddy. All right, that's how we said it. And it's this term of endearment for your dad. Not just male parent, but, but Jesus says, when you're praying, I want you to pray like this. It's our, like you have the same access I have because of my blood, not because of your effort. Our Father. And see, and I know for some of you that jacked you up because you had a jacked up dad situation. Okay? You, just hear me. That, that God Almighty is not a reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection of what it means to be father. He's a good dad. For me, it helps me a lot because I, I have a good dad. I just have a really good dad. And, uh, you know, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but, but an incredibly good. He loved me, loved my brother, still does like crazy. I can remember having this reverence of him, like being at a restaurant and being too loud. He never had to say anything. He'd just give me that look, and you'd think, oh, my goodness. Because he knew two looks, and it was, you know, the Indian Jones. That was happening, you know, <laughs> right in Pizza Hut. I mean, he didn't care, you know. He's like <laughs> trying to eat your cheese pizza. It's not a good situation. <laughs> but I can remember the mornings where he'd wake me up and say, hey, buddy, we're going fishing. And I'd get in the truck with him, right? Me and my younger brother, Russ, standing on the bench seat right there next to me, and my daddy driving the 73 Chevy, and we were heading down the road. You know what I had to worry about in that situation? Absolutely nothing. Why? Because my daddy had it under control. And what Jesus is saying is, no matter what your situation is, when you pray, that's what you're praying. Our Father, he's a good dad. He's got it all under control. In heaven, hallowed be your name. That you should spend some time in prayer where it's not about you, but you, there's some adoration of who God is. That you don't just come right out of the gate with God like the seagulls out of Nemo, mine, 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 more, more, me, me. But you come to the throne room of God, and first of all, it's our Father who art in heaven, and hallowed be your name. Whatever that looks like in your own world. I mean, it's gratitude and it's praise towards God. Then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what this is? This is, this is about alignment. This is about not necessarily God change all of my circumstances, but God change me to line up with who you are. And then it's not until then that, that there's the petition for stuff. Give us this day our daily bread. By the way, we know nothing of this. We just don't. We don't. Now, I'm not saying we don't have legitimate needs, but when they were praying, they were praying, dear God, can you give me something to eat today? I mean, we have refrigerators and pantries and, you know, those kinds of things. And so he, they were praying for legitimate needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The Lord's Prayer assumes that forgiven people forgive people. That's just how it is. God, help me forgive Help as I forgive others, God, because I'm going to do that. God, you forgive me. That's how this flow works. That if you, ain't, if you ain't giving it, it's probably because you ain't got it. But if you got it, then you're freely going to give it out, and that's forgiveness. And then lead us not into temptation, because, you know, we can handle that on our own, God. We don't need you to lead us into that. We got that one covered. But deliver us from evil. Not make me a better person, but, God, I am utterly dependent on you to deliver me. So if you want to take the Lord's Prayer and look at it as a model, I just made this up, okay? But it, the way I think about when I pray, it's just three things. It's adoration, alignment, and then ask. That's it. It's adoration first and foremost. And honestly, man, when it's really going well, I don't make it out of that. 
because there's so much to praise. He's been so good to us, and we do not deserve it. And you just adore who He is and what He's done in your life. And then there's alignment. Not so much, God, change all my situation, but Lord, change me to be in line with who, who You are. And then God, line me up. Line me up. That earth would look a lot more like heaven because of what's happening right now. And then, and then you're ready to ask. So jump back up to Luke chapter 11, verse 5. <clears throat> he says, and he said to them. Now, what Jesus is going to do after he shares a version of the Lord's Prayer there. And again, we know it's not just about memorizing the words and getting it right because there's two different versions in Luke and in Matthew. So the words, the exact words themselves aren't nearly as important as the model that he's given us. And so now he's going to share a parable to help people try to understand how to pray. He says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now, what you don't understand it in the first century, hospitality was of the highest value. If you wanted to be totally shamed in this communal kind of culture of the first century Hebrew people, it would be to have a guest come into your house and you don't have any food or drink for them. All right? And so what's happening here is that the friend, if you were out of stuff and a friend just showed up and surprised you and you didn't have any food or drink to give them, you're kind of in this state of panic. This isn't just a want in that culture. This is a real need. And so he says, all right, if that happened to you and you had a real need, <clears throat> and so you go to your neighbor and you say, hey, listen, I need something. I need three loaves because a friend showed up, verse 7. And he will answer from within, the guy sleeping from within. He will answer, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. So in other words, what's happening here is the guy that's asleep in the house in the first century, the way they would sleep is typically a, like a, just a one-room home, dirt floors, and the mom and dad would usually sleep in the middle of the floor, and the kids, which there's a lot of them, uh, they would just kind of be piled in with the parents, all right? So if your kids pile into the bed with you, you're very, very biblical, all right? And so, I know. And, and you know how it is. If you finally get all those little jokers to sleep, and then somebody's knocking on your door in the middle of the night, be like, hey, neighbor, can I get some bread? And from the inside, the dude's like, dude, leave me alone, man. I'm tired. I'm asleep. My wife's asleep. All my kids are around me. If I get up now, I'm going to wake up the whole situation, you know, and they're going to have to do the whole bathroom and brush your teeth and watch Shrek again, and it ain't going to go good. It takes us forever to get them down, and then I'm going to get my feet dirty and all that. So, no, nah, man, just leave me alone. I'm already down for the night. And that's why he says, I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. That word impudence, I had to look it up, means to ask rudely, to be pushy, to be arrogant, to be persistent. So, think about this. Jesus, in this parable, teaching us how to pray, says, all right, when you pray, and he gives us the model prayer, and he goes, all right, it's like this. It's like you need something real bad, and you go to your neighbor's house, and at first he won't help you. And you just knock and knock and knock and you keep on knocking and you won't give up and you won't give up and you won't give up. And eventually you just wear the guy down. And eventually, just because you're kind of rude about it and you're a little bit obnoxious about it and you just keep coming and you keep coming and you keep coming and you won't let it quit, eventually you can wear that guy down and you can get what you're asking for. That's, that's the parable on prayer. You know what? Sometimes I think we're too polite in our prayer. Now, yes, we should be reverent and humble, 
But what Jesus is teaching is, hey, listen, when you pray, you got to pray like you mean it. I mean, you got to pray with the same passion and the same intensity and the same consistency as you as the emotion equated with the thing that's bothering you and the thing that's putting you in need. What apparently, this is kind of crazy to think about, apparently the way God works is we can never get on God's nerves for asking. Think about this. In this parable, essentially God says, come on, ask me again. (laughs) Parents, in my house, if I say ask me again, that is not good, right? (laughs) It's typically ask me again. All right, and God says, "No, no, no! Ask me again. Ask me again." So I was trying to think: Is there any time that it's okay for my kids to be rude to me? And it is. There's only one time that I could think of right now. And so every night when we put our kids to bed, we pray for them. I pray the same thing with them every night of their life. And I do a round, and then Gretchen comes in, and whoever goes first, then the other one has to come. You know that kind of deal. And so for Reagan Capri, I pray Psalm one thirty nine fourteen every single night. Dear God, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. She's a little girl. I need her to know that truth. I need to plant that anchor deep in her soul so she knows that. And so we pray it together every single night. And with JP, it's much longer right now. I pray Psalm 1. You can look it up. It's kind of long. And I pray with him every single night. And then we pray. We kind of add on some stuff to our prayer. Now, here's what happens a lot of times. I carry Reagan to bed all the time. And then JP will say, you know, I tell him, buddy, it's time to go to bed. And he's like, will you come pray with me? And yeah, 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 I'll be in there in a minute. And then, you know, the game's on. And so I'm kind of watching that. And then I hear, hey, Dad, you coming to pray with me? I'm like, yeah, 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 just give me a minute. And then, very rudely, JP will say, Dad, like that. In any other situation, that's not good. All right, we do the, you know, it's like a whole situation. Who do you think you're talking to? But in that one, when he's rude about me coming to pray with, do you get what I mean? When he's like, he's got a little angst there. He's got a little like, ugh, he's knocking. He's like, Dad, I've already asked you a couple of times. Dad, will you come in here and pray with me? I, yeah, yes, son, I'll be right there. So the reason, <clears throat> the reason that Jesus shares this parable is this. He says, he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And these, all these verbs here are present tense. And so literally what that means is this. Seek, and seek, and seek, and keep on seeking. And ask, and ask again, and ask again, and keep on asking. And knock, and knock, and knock again, and keep on knocking. Verse 10, for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, now it, you got to look right here and go like, are you serious? Because I prayed for all kind of stuff, and God went, no way. Listen, God answers every single prayer, but he's a good dad. And sometimes his answer to our prayer is, I love you, no. Like when I was, uh, I think I was in the first or second grade, and I wanted to be a cowboy, so bad. You know, I wanted to be a cowboy. We lived in downtown Dillon, which is about 1,000 people smaller than the Church of 1122 right now, okay? But we live right there, two blocks from McDonald's, which is one of our nicer restaurants, and that's where we live. And I wanted to be a cowboy 
So bad. Way before Toby Keith, okay? I was cutting edge on this stuff. And I, I asked my daddy oh, for Christmas. Christmas was coming up. I said, Daddy, I am convinced. I want to be a cowboy. I think God wants me to be a cowboy. And so for Christmas this year, can I get a 30-30 rifle and a horse? And for Christmas, I got a BB gun and a puppy, all right? Why? Not because my dad doesn't love me, but because he does love me. He didn't want me to kill myself and everybody along with me on the horse and or gun, so he gave me a few things that we could possibly handle, all right? And so <clears throat> it's, it's, not just, it's not just whatever you ask, God just says yes. Why? Because, as the theologian of the last century said, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Think about the people you prayed that God, God, please let her go out with me. And then you check her Facebook five years later and be like, dear Jesus, thank you for not saying yes to that one. So, you know what prayers um, God loves to answer? God loves to answer his promises that he's promised us in his word. I mean, you shouldn't just read through your Bible. You should pray through your Bible. There's over 3,000 promises in the Word of God. And what you should do is grab on to some of these things and turn them back to God. My friend J.D. Greer, who's a pastor in uh, North Carolina, he says this. He says, the prayers that heaven hears are the prayers that start in heaven. That's a good word. Tim Keller says this. For his children, God always gives them what they would ask for if they knew all that he knew. Let me give you one. You want to pray a prayer that I promise you God will answer? You start praying this week that God will give you an opportunity to share your faith. And then you keep your eyes open. And I, I can almost guarantee you God says, okay. In fact, next weekend is going to be, as clear as I possibly can, a gospel presentation out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Why don't you start praying right now? I want you to align the promises of God where Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples. And you start praying like crazy for an opportunity to bring a friend next week to hear the gospel. And you watch God work like crazy. So part of what we have to do in trusting that God is a good dad is that sometimes we pray and pray and pray, and I know from our perspective it seems super legit, okay? I've been really, really frustrated and really, really confused, and I've got it all figured out, God. If you'll just answer this one, I promise it works out better for us, and you're glorified. You don't even have to figure it out. Hear the details. I'm telling you, God, it won't even make you tired. It's not like the lights in heaven will dim a little bit for this miracle, Lord, if you'll just move on this one. And yet for his for whatever reason, because of his sovereignty, and he's still got the whole world in his hands, sometimes he says, I love you now. But in verse 11, Jesus keeps going and says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil, notice how Jesus just assumes that you are not a snowflake, and you're not a rainbow, and you're not a skittle, that we are wretched, black-hearted sinners, all right? That's just the assumption. If we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's a good dad. He wants to give good gifts to his kids. In other words... If you can convince a man that's asleep at night to get up from his bed, wake up his whole family, dirty his feet, inconvenience himself to bring you three loaves of bread because you're in need, and that dude's evil, how much more with a loving Heavenly Father who's demonstrated His love for you in this, that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us, how much more does He want to love you and hear you 
and answer your prayers and give you maybe not what you want, but give you what you need. So here's the point. The point is pray, pray, pray. Pray. Pray when you're standing up, when you're sitting down, and when you're at work, and when you're at home, and pray long times sometimes, and pray short times sometimes, and pray by yourself, and pray in public, and pray. Be a person of prayer. Prayer to the Christian is like the oxygen we breathe. Pray. And prayer is not about information. Prayer is not about information. Think about how many times in a prayer meeting we just give God all the information. As if he's taken, what was that again? You know, no, he knows. Prayer is not about information. It's about intimacy with the Father. Had a conversation with some of our staff members today about, because I've heard people say this. Some people, well, I'm not a good prayer. Come on. You might pray some dumb stuff. That's all right. God loves you. Your kids ever say dumb stuff to you? Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever had your kid try to tell you that they love you? And, and it not move you? I'm telling you. It, it, here's here's a, a request that Reagan makes that I'll answer every single time. Give me a kiss, Daddy. Okay. Okay. And then I give her a kiss, and I'm like, hey, baby, now 10 years from now, you're still going to ask for these, right? Right. All right, good. 20 years from now, you're still going to ask for these, right? Right. I'm trying to just, you know, train up a child the way she should go. When she's old, she will not depart from it. And so, it's not just about information, it is about intimacy. Prayer prayer is the means by which our sovereign God accomplishes on earth as it is in heaven. It's not always about Him changing our circumstances. Oftentimes, it's about changing us to be like Him. C.S. Lewis says this. C.S. Lewis says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. And then John Piper, in a book, really its own missions, but he says this about prayer. He says, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. And our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of limitless power. So pray, pray, pray. And keep on praying. Let me just ask you this question. I had a seminary professor ask me this a long time ago. And it messed me up, messed up my whole prayer life in a very positive way. One time he asked us this, I want to ask you the same question. So I want to close. If last week, if last week God decided to answer all of your prayers, like if he showed up tonight before you go to bed, like on the edge of your bed, Jesus walked into your room. Hello, I'm Jesus. I just want to let you know that I've kept a log of all of your prayers for the last seven days, and the answer to all of them is yes. If God answered all the prayers you prayed last week, how would our world be different? When he asked me that, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. I found my car keys. 
and the dogs would win. And, uh, you know, maybe one person would be healed. You think about that? Prayer is like this wartime walkie-talkie that gives us access to this limitless power source that is your heavenly father, and he's a good dad, and he wants to give good gifts to his kids. And a lot of times we turn it into just like a, like a domestic intercom where we're calling upstairs to, to make, make the den a little more comfortable. So pray. Do you need to pray more? Maybe do you need to listen more? Maybe do we need to expand our prayers and what we're asking the limitless God for to move on earth as it is in heaven? Here's what the good news is. No matter what it is, if it's an, if it's an epic move of God, then pray about it. And if it's something that seems like this little, tiny, insignificant thing, then pray about it. You know why? It's important to God because it's important to you and you're important to God. So pray. So the way we're going to end this service is we're going to invite you to pray. We are a praying church at the Church of 1122. A praying church. It's why we built these altars down here. So that you could go to a certain place and that you could get up from where you are at times and that you could move down and that you can kneel and pray. Now again, any place will work. Any place will work. Because God is with you wherever you go. So do you have a burden? Is there something you need to be praying about? Is it, have you had a bad day and you thought, you don't want to hear from me right now? That's all right. Remember, you're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. And in the name of Jesus, you can go before the King of Kings, the Almighty God. Whether you've never, ever prayed before or you are a prayer warrior, the good news is, is he invites every single one of us by the blood of Jesus to his throne room. In fact, hear the invitation of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ's invitation is ask and ask and ask and keep on asking and knock and knock and knock, and keep on knocking, and seek, and seek, and seek, and keep on seeking, because you got a good dad that loves to give good gifts to his kids. Would you please stand and pray with me, our good and gracious Heavenly Father. Lord, we love you because you loved us first. Lord, I pray that you would, um, that you would unleash the church of 1122 to be a people of prayer, that God, we would pray first and decide second. God, we would seek you first above everything else, and then trust that you would add all these other things to us. God, that we would lay our cares before you because you care for us. Lord, continue by the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us to pray. God, we adore you for who you are and what you've done. God, align us to you. And then move in us in such a way that we ask in Jesus' name. And that's whose name we pray. Amen. Hey, folks, we close the service the same way all the time. That we respond by joining our voices together and singing. And we're going to sing a prayer. We're going to sing the, the Lord's Prayer. And this time I want you to think about the words. And I don't want you to just sing it. And, and when it like gets to the high part and you can't do it anymore, I want you to just lean into Jesus and just pray. Pray with everything you're made of. And we respond to God by bringing our first and best, our tithes and offerings. Because He went first. He loved us first. And He gave us His best in Jesus. And then... 
And we also respond by praying. We would invite you to, if you never, if you never have before, why don't you come to the altar and kneel down. And if the altars fill up, then there's carpets all over here so that you can get on your knees and you can pray. Or if it gets too full down here, you can just pray right where you are. But, but whatever it is, let us respond in prayer.